edition of the Mindset Game Podcast, and I'm your host, James Roberts. Before we get started with this week's show, first off, let me take this opportunity to welcome back the regular listeners, and if this is your first time listening to the show, I hope you enjoy this episode and decide to subscribe to the show. And on today's show, I've got Matt Davis. Matt is the host of Tough Mudder's competitive series on Facebook and CEO of Obstacle Racing Media. And not forgetting, he's also the host of ORM Podcast. So welcome onto the show, Matt. Thank you, sir. Super stoked to be here and to see myself in this application, which they're not going to see, right? No. Um, <laughs> So first of all, Matt, before we delve into today's episode, can you talk to me about how you got into, obviously, Tough Mudder and, and those kind of obstacle races? And sure, first, sure. How that's progressed, obviously, on to going on to becoming a, uh, a Facebook, becoming onto a podcast. Sure. I think the easiest way, or what I usually tell people, is that I was your average 40-year-old uh, softball-playing dad meaning I wasn't out of shape. Well, I mean, I was out of shape, but I wasn't like obese, but I was just in enough good shape to play softball, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I had a friend of mine in the fall of 2011 say that he was going to do a Tough Mudder, and I'd seen those videos, and it scared me, and I thought, oh, well, if he's doing it, maybe I can do it. So I did my first event. Uh, it was freezing cold. It challenged me, um, but then I finished and fell in love with it. Uh, a couple months later, did my first Spartan race and uh, was sort of hooked, And as, as I think happens with a lot of us. Started writing, uh, blogging, podcasting about it just because it seemed like a fun idea. You know, I had a totally different business at the time. And relatively quickly, I became kind of the guy known for the blog and the podcast because there wasn't a lot of content on that sport yet. And, uh, you know... Lo and behold, you know, cranking away, cranking away, and eventually it became, you know, what I did for a living, and I stopped doing everything else. So from a, a mental perspective, Matt, which is harder from your perspective and opinion, Spartan ra- a Spartan race or Tough Mudder? Uh, it, really is, it, it really is a true apples and oranges situation. Um, there are different types of challenges, uh, Tough Mudder tends to go for more of the mental part. So, you know, ice water, electricity, fear of heights, and Spartan seems to focus on strength-based stuff, uh, although you will find some of both with both. Um, so I can tell you that most of the Tough Mudders I've done lately have been more fun, and Spartan has been more of a beatdown. Okay. But I, I think if we come from, from a, maybe a training perspective now, could you maybe get away with less training? I'm talking more like the lesser ones, Spartan ones, than, than Tough Mudder. Yeah, so Spartan has these two distances, or sorry, three distances. Actually, so does Tough Mudder now that I think about it. They've got a half and a full. Um, what I tell people all the time is if you wait until you're in shape to sign up, you're never going to sign up. So put your credit card down, get some friends, most of them will bail on you. This is what I hear from people all the time. They signed up with five or six friends and then nobody showed up. Uh, but you'll make friends on the course. 
and you'll learn where you're at. You'll learn, okay, this is where I'm weak. Uh, man, I was really tired after two miles. I need to work on my endurance. Man, I fell off all those obstacles. You know, or my running's always been good because I've always been a 10K or a marathoner, so my running's good, but man, I need to work on my grip strength. And to me, that's probably the greatest thing about it is that, you know, I hadn't been running competitively for a while. I've been taking it really slow and easy. And I went the other day and failed some things, and I thought, hmm, I don't want to fail those anymore. I don't want to fall in the water. So I want to start training upper body more and grip strength again. So, Would it be probably a good thing because obviously you've got your – what is it, the challenge now that the, from couch to 5K or five mile, would that be right. a better one to maybe for people to look at? And because you're obviously going to improve your overall fitness in one package by doing one of those two events. Well, I think that's actually a perfect thing to do to download one of those apps. And then all you have to do, and I'm telling you, this is what I've done for years because I'm not a gym rat, right? Like if it's part of your routine already, great, but it's not part of my routine. So if you're going to do a couch to 5K, on those days they have you out there, walk running a mile or two miles, just add some stuff, right? Add some push-ups, add some burpees, find up, if there's a park on your route, do some monkey bars, like really basic stuff. I mean, I'm telling you, I'm not Joe Fitness. I couldn't even tell you the names of like all these muscles, like, that's never been my, I've never been the training guy. I would get a guy like you on my show to talk about that kind of stuff. So yeah, just, um, add some pretty simple stuff. And, um, you know, like I would do that. I'd be like, okay, I'm going to do three miles. First mile, I'm going to do 20 burpees next after the next mile. I'm going to do 20 lunges like that. But then Matt, you bring up a good point. You say you'd have me or somebody from the fitness industry come on your show to talk about what the names of the muscles are. Okay, I'd probably say, yes, we know it. But I think we soon don't have to talk like that because it's it's, it's, over, it's too overwhelming to some people or they don't care. So <laughs> you're taught it, but you're told to kind of use your own jargon, so to speak. So I think I've used it, like the complexity of like the Latin terms for the muscles. I think we have maybe one client and they were a doctor. So that, 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 that's probably where the report finishes. But with everybody else, it's like, I think you'd be asked the question, well, how is this exercise going to improve me in whatever it is? And, and I think that's more of a logical way of thinking as opposed to, well, these are what the muscles Ah, as opposed to what right well i guess also more in the sense of so for me like i'm sort of the basic but let's say even for the intermediate person like i was i was in this race in canada a couple weeks ago and i was trying to do something a certain way and a guy on my team who was a trainer he said you realize you're not using i can't remember what it was calves or hamstrings i was not using the one that i should have been using Uh putting all that strain on your arms next time tighten that muscle. And I was like, Oh, so you know what I mean? That sort of type of, you know, especially, you know, like, like runners historically don't use their glutes. So you learn to, you know, fire all that stuff. I don't know if that's too advanced for the, you know, the, the first time runner, but I know for me, that's what I learned after, you know, I've been pretty injury free, but then at some point a couple of years ago, I had these massive, uh, ham and glute issues because my glutes weren't firing, so I had to get PT and all the rest of it. Well, I think you raise a good point there, Matt, in terms of when you are, well, you could say it from both terms, 
either underutilizing something or overutilizing it. it comes down to knowledge and obviously from us from the PT side of things we well, don't know always know everything but you, you can kind of see it from an outside perspective when somebody isn't utilizing it and it, it comes back to probably uh, from that, that standpoint if you can get you to utilize the muscles to its full potential, you're going to get a better performance. Right. Sorry, I was just moving to somewhere a little bit uh, quieter. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, and I'm just, I don't know, I'm just lazy when it comes to learning that stuff. So, But then if I get educated on something, I'm usually pretty happy. I'm just pointing out that to the average person, if they're new or they're starting, uh, you know, I've done over 130 obstacle races, but I still know, I still know very little about the human body. Yeah. But is, would, would you say the up from doing those 130 races has the complexity of the courses become more difficult? The obstacles definitely have, uh, which is great because if you've done even 10 Spartan races, you're pretty tired of those obstacles. So, uh, that's where a race like Tough Mudder, uh, Savage Race. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of different races over in the UK, so I'm not – I assume that's most of your audience? Um, no, it's actually predominantly in the – well, I'd say I think looking at my analytics, I think it's 50% in the US. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. All right, so for those of you in America, go to you know Tough Mudder, Spartan Race. Uh, Savage Race is a good one. Um, uh, Rugged Maniac's a fun one. And then for you guys, uh, there's a website called Mudstickle. Have you heard of it? I've not. Okay. Mudstickle, which is spelled like it sounds, right? Like Popsicle or what? M-U-D-S-T-A-C-L-E. And they've got a great calendar. And uh, those are fun guys. You should talk to them. I can connect to you maybe when we're done. Because um, uh, I think well, it, it's probably comes up because I was asked I think last year or beginning of this year to do it one for charity. And I think, well, I can kind of go back to my family and say, well, they said, oh, you shouldn't do it because you're not going to be fit. So I was thinking, well, I'm, I come from the athletic background and you say it's more of a mental thing. I think I would have been able to finish it. Cause you're, oh, of course, you're dude. Doing it with a team and you don't want to be one of those people that finish. So I think I would have done it. And I think that charity – but doing it for a charity perspective, I think it would it'd drive you to finish in the first place. You don't well, what's going to happen is you're going to go out there and you're going to see people, and this is me talking to everybody listening, you're going to see someone that is in far worse shape than you. And you're going to be like, oh, okay, they're out here, I'm out here, we're, we're, we're cool. But it's a, it's a, I think it's a difficult one because, like you say, if you wait till you get fit, and I think you could probably generalize even out, outside of the obstacle environment it's always going to be the case if you put it off it's never going to happen so i think it's kind of like it's kind of like getting married you just have to do it are you married or not married no okay well i can tell you uh (laughs) you can wait till the time is right or the money is enough and it's just not going to be so you just got to say fuck it and i hope we can curse and you can put a little e next to our episode oh sorry not the first one I've I've even managed to do it in my in the episodes. Well, my mine my wasn't too bad, but it was like I think in in the scope of what I was talking about, I, I dropped dropped something. But I think it was 
it was poignant. So now I think, well, there's a few. I think it's about a 50-50 split anyway. But I think, like you say, if you don't, and it's poignant because we are coming back to that time of the year again, when it's people making those new resolutions, I think it's, you probably got to go a little bit deeper and delve as to not doing it as a new New Year's resolution, but looking at deeper as to why you want to actually do it. Right. And, and like, do I want to be able to throw the ball with my kid or do I want to, you know, get my body back to somehow what it looked like, you know, I got to tell you that at 45, my body looks very different than even at 40. Um, My metabolism has slowed down. I can't eat the same way. I can't uh, train the same way and expect the same results. So um, yeah. Well, I think it's, it it does come back to that knowledge base with everything. It's, it's like you were saying, it's, you can't train the same way. So you've got to maybe adapt it to a certain extent and and finding, well, to a certain degree, obviously keeping things that you enjoy. Cause I think it comes back. I've been, well, we say questioned by clients in the past. Oh, I don't like this changing program. Okay. Let's have this dialogue. It's it's not always what one it's it's okay, I've written the plan. You if there's something in there that you totally don't like, do let me know and we'll change we'll change it slightly. Or I think you're capable of doing it and you might not think so. So it's Well, isn't that the whole point though? Like you want them to be uncomfortable somewhat? Yeah, I was I would say yes, but that's come but I would say that would come back to the mindset, isn't it? It's I've got that ethos um, kind of built in my DNA to, I'm used, well, I won't say used to be pushing out, out of the comfort zone because I'll still do it to this day at domestic level and like club level. I'll push myself out of the comfort zone. But I think it's ingrained in, into me and hardwired. Whereas I think some people, and that's maybe a generalization a little bit, aren't, they're used to being, straight and narrow if they're told to do it no I think it comes down I think with him more specifically I think it comes down to because it's it's something different it's it's a change whereas that's slightly I would term it as slightly different to out out of your comfort zone but like I I think how you you bring it across it's probably this it's this one in the same right but it's 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 it is a difficult. One. Yeah, you, you do want to be challenged. Um, I think I read somewhere on Facebook, somebody said to to like I didn't make progress. All you need to do is up it. Was it your training workload by twenty ten to twenty percent and sweat a little bit? It's like mm, I don't agree with that one bit because what one workload is for somebody and what it is for somebody else is totally different and. Yeah, you may sweat, but you could have over, uh, what is it, over, um, oh, I can't think of the word, but over stimulant, like, you know, when you sweat too much, you, you right. actually does it. That doesn't mean you're working hard. That That's your body u- utilizing, uh, well, you could term it being imp- um, unproductive because it's, it's sweating because it, it's trying to, well, that's the basis of sweating is to is climate control, and that's right. it. So it's it's not workload, and but that maybe be that 
come down to that person's knowledge. I didn't comment on it because like, well, I don't agree with it, but let me let somebody else butt in and say, well, this, I don't agree with this comment. And I mean, you can I'll, sweat sitting in a sauna. It doesn't mean that you're... Well, that one, you're not exercising one bit, are you? It's, it's well, that's what I'm saying. So sweating doesn't, it doesn't necessarily translate. Well, I think, a, I think a good example of that would be if I did um, leg day as opposed to upper body, like you were saying, I will sweat a lot less when I'm doing leg day than when I'm doing upper body. But that could be because of my disability. Or is it the opposite? <laughs> I don't know. You would know. It's one, or, it's one or the. It's one or the other. But I think it should, no. It'd be more. It's more when I'm doing upper body. But I think it's because you talk, We talked about the obviously um, being out of your comfort zone. I think because I've been so predominantly utilizing my upper body throughout my life, I think I can get away with it at certain times. Okay, I'm going to still work hard, but I think because I'm only utilizing one leg when I'm doing le- legs. I'm obviously working a little bit harder, so it's 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 a it's a difficult one because yes, you you want to be working in these certain you know like trading zones, but it doesn't exist. If you if you're working optimally, it's it's trying to push yourself outside the comfort zone. So there's no actual black and white, so to speak, really. right? Like a grey area, and it's. I think by some buttons now you need to train between ten and twenty percent of a workload. It's like, well, mm, it won't work like that. From say, if you did multiple tough uh, tough mudders like week after week, there's going to be sometimes that you're going to be something's tight, something's not quite right. You're going to do possibly slower one to the other, and the race could be the same. So it, those parameters, I think, from an athlete perspective, is like, well there's some days that you don't feel 100%, so you need to kind of backtrack a little bit. But those uh, that's reading your body a little bit. So I think that comes with experience. Yeah, I concur. But it's, it's a difficult. But then, but if I come back to you, Matt, and how did kind of that Facebook Live start with <laughs> you being the commentator? Oh, sure. So... You know, I started this podcast uh, for fun and for free, right? I had no, uh, it, honestly, I never thought at all that it would be something, like I said, I had another business, I had a staffing company, and uh, this was what I did for fun, and uh, uh, I just, I liked listening to, like, This American Life, and like, uh, WTF with Mark Marin, and I thought, well, nobody's doing one about this sport yet so why should why shouldn't i start one now by the way there's like 20 or 30 like i can't even keep up there's so many about obstacle racing um and you know countless numbers of websites um and uh as i said earlier i sort of quickly became the go-to man and it started leading to opportunities so i would get quoted in you know a major newspaper or magazine uh i got asked to write a book which i wrote a couple of years ago uh, I got to be in a documentary, and as these TV opportunities started coming up for Spartan and Tough Mudder, I really thought that would be the next move for me, and I kept not getting invited, and uh, my feelings really hurt, and, you know, because I know these companies, and I know these people, and I'd be like, come on, man, like, 
throw me a bone. So I was like, yeah, well, it's a network decision or whatever. And then sure enough, you know, a few weeks ago, this call came, you know, I think, as they say, out of nowhere. And they're like, hey, we've, we're launching this new Facebook series. You're one of the guys in the running. Do you want to do it? And I said, sure. And they said, well, do you have anything you can send us that we can show like the producers? And I've been producing all this content all these years. So I was able to send a couple of videos and a couple of podcasts. And so they picked me for the first one. They said, oh, we're not sure for the rest of the year yet. But then after the first one, they were like, okay, you're in. And I'm hoping it's going to lead to a lot more. I'm hoping I can do more shows for them. I'm hoping I can eventually make the jump to television. Uh, but this is certainly in many ways a, a lifelong dream come true for me to, uh, to be doing this. But in terms of, say, from uh, probably a, an outreach perspective now, Matt, wouldn't you say Facebook has got a larger audience, I'll say worldwide a little bit? So than television? Yeah, well, that's what's interesting is that so let's so for the very first show, I think uh, 750,000 people watched it. Now, who knows? They all didn't watch for four hours, that's for sure. <laughs> um, but that's certainly more than a lot of television programs, right? So it's pretty awesome. It's pretty far-reaching. Um, but it still doesn't quite have the cachet that being on television does and probably not the money. So... Um, yeah, maybe it won't matter. Maybe I'll just be the face of Facebook. And as the years go on, that'll be it. Um, but it'd be nice to get on regular TV once just to sort of like tick that box of, you know, so I used to watch, I don't know who you had as a kid over there, but we had like, uh, like we had like Howard Cosell and Dick Vitale for basketball and these like great characters that I loved. And, uh, you know, it turns out that my one really good skill is talking. So that's what I've gone all in on at this point. Well, I think because my parents are in the military uh, and I grew up on an international base, I had the likes of obviously U.S. sports growing up as well. So, but well, he's still going though, Victor. Well, just about Dick Vitale, anyway. I think so. Yeah. With his, with his, uh, well, he's got a very distinct voice. Right. Um, right. So. I'd like to be one of those guys that people watch because they know. So it doesn't just have to be mutters. I can get hired to do other sports and people know that I'm going to be honest, real, funny, you know, and a little insightful. Well, I think it's best to have that kind of commentary because you think of it more, I think more so than this country. And I think about the Olympics more specifically and you're thinking, I don't know what you're talking about. So like, why have you put this right? Okay. There quote unquote, uh, good at their job as a presenter and, and commentator, but you've got no inkling of what this sport is about. You can, you can tell by how the commentators come across, thinking you kind of at least done some research. It's a lot of evil. well, and that's part of what's bothered me on these shows a lot of times is that they've gotten people that clearly aren't in the sport, and uh, I've I've always you know said like, listen, if you don't get me, get somebody because you should. You need to get people that know what they're talking about. Now, Spartan does a live show as well. Um, and that's one of the shows I was hoping I'd get called for. Um, but I didn't. But I'm super happy to be doing what I'm doing now. I'd still probably work for them if they asked me to. Um, maybe they will. Maybe they won't. You know, because of, like, maybe they think it's you can't work for the other guy. But I'm an independent person. Like, I'm not a Tough Mudder employee. Um, so do you follow 
when you so when the Olympics happen every four years, well, summer and winter, like you know, Bob Costas for us is like the centralized host, and then they have they go out to all the different people. Do you guys have a different broadcast team, or do you guys is it the NBC America broadcast? Um, with us in the UK, it would be off the Olympics. I think there's about one or two hosts, and they will go out to you know like the. I mean, you guys just had the you guys just had the Olympics there. Well, for well five years ago. I know, but that's not very long ago. Is that where you competed, by the way? Or yeah, the that was my last games. Yeah. Well, how was that to do that here or at your home? Um. Well, if we kind of go back to when they were they were bidding for it, I wanted the French to get it. Because? Because oh, it'd be nice to beat them on their own soil. Oh, do you, do you have a rivalry with them? Well, the English do, but I, I think because it was close to home, I was thinking, no, I, don't, I, I was probably a bit more of a pessimistic. Yeah, they were not going to win it, but I think you want those, well, I wouldn't call Paris exotic, but you want those... Uh, more uh, luxurious ones. I'm thinking, well, but at the time when they they were bidding for it, I was swimming. So thinking, well, if it happened to be in Paris, it don't really matter. But I think in the sport I actually competed in, if it had been France, the team wouldn't have gone in the first place. So it's it was a bonus that it was we were the host city because I got to compete for the second time. But I think I think from a, a family and friend's perspective it probably helped because a lot of people were able to go to see it because it was on their doorstep um it was nice to to not have to leave the country i don't i don't know uh, weather perspective no but that's that's a different one entirely but that's after the deal with being in the northern hemisphere and dealing with our weather but but other than that it was a great experience what what sport did you compete in? Uh, in London, it was volleyball. And what was what was the previous? Were you the previous time? Oh eight. Uh, yeah, it would have been uh, in rowing. So you just go wherever they need you. No, it was to kind of cut a long story straight. It was uh, with disability sport. There's lots and lots of classification. You could probably coin it similar to Spartan race. Um, I'd got reclassified in '09, and I, I seemed to be able to pick up another—I won't say pick up another sport quite naturally, but I'm maybe quite naturally talented, and I'm able to. It was—it's probably a little bit down to luck as well, because to be good at free sports at high level is is pretty—I won't say unique, but it doesn't happen a lot. I mean that's pretty impressive, dude. Well, I don't read anything. I don't read much into it. I think it's it's. I probably look back to it now. It's luck involved. I was in the right place at the right time. Definitely, uh, good support network behind. And well, if we go back to like childhood, I've realised that goal of wanting to be a professional athlete. So it's. I can kind of put it across to kids, maybe so of this generation, and say, well, if that is your aspirations, you'll do also have something as a backup because 
that's not going to happen for 99% of the people. So it's, do do have a back backup for well, your career, even though you're good at sport, you may only get, I don't know, I think the average is like two, three to five years. So you need to have something to have as your real job to carry out through your life. But it's, it's, I think I think I'm humble, and I think people do come back to it and say, "Well, why don't you boast about this and things like that?" Well, I don't want to. Well, nobody likes anybody that boasts about anything. Wow, it's, I think it's maybe you want to be somewhere in between, don't you? To say, well, you can say, "I'm really stoked. I'm going to the Olympics this year." There's nothing wrong with that. Well, I think I think I think I would have done. I think I might have done when I came back after the Beijing game because people said, oh, did I see you on the television in the summer? Yeah, yeah, that was me. But it's, I think it's more, not sarcastically answering like that, but it's like, yes, you did see me and this is what I've done. But it's trying to not, I think it's, we're in this kind of society now, people put people on pedestals, don't they? Be it celebrities athletes is like well from i think i relate more with the athlete it's like well you're good at we use soccer as the example you're good at kicking a ball around a field for x amount of time you're not in the grand scheme of things that as an influential say a doctor on somebody's life so it's like it's a difficult one from a maybe a monetary standpoint yeah there's no point knocking them because if I could get paid what they get paid on a weekly basis, I wouldn't say no. <laughs> but I think it's, it's, it's a difficult one because you don't want people to say, well, I want to, why? Cause I'm in, in, in working with schools. Now you hear the kids, oh, I want to be a YouTuber. Uh, I want to be a celebrities like, well, it's very easy to become, like, I don't know if it's the case in the US, but over here, to become a celebrity. And it's like, you haven't done anything. You've just been on a television program for X amount of weeks. You've not, like I said, influenced somebody's life. You've not done, I don't know. In the past, it would be like celebrity status, maybe for doing charity work. Like, well, if you've helped somebody get off the ground. So it's like thinking, you've done nothing. You've been on a television program and, well, you've, well, you could say you've entertained me. I wouldn't even go that far to a certain extent with reality television because it's, you do it to switch off when you watch programs like that because, oh, I don't need to actually um, engage my brain to actually watch this. They're thinking, well, you're not actually doing anything. You've become famous for the sake of it, you could say. Right. But I think, Maybe if we use you as the example, you are actually doing something worthwhile. You are coming across and obviously giving your experiences, your knowledge towards the sport and using that to obviously progress as you wanted to, to become a guy on television. Whereas that, I can understand you're utilizing your skill set to progress in life. Whereas I think maybe from the other flip side it's like 
you've not you, you don't do anything. You wouldn't. I won't say you were not. You're not a nobody and you weren't worthwhile. But you were. I think a lot of people that want to become that is they like the limelight. Whereas I, I would. Well, how, how I how I come across. Well, how you come across. Sorry, I wouldn't say that was the case. Okay, I think everybody likes to. Let's let's have the bright lights around us. That's I think there's nothing wrong with that, but you can kind of see the youngsters. You can see who likes that kind of attention. Thinking mm, you like it maybe a bit too much, right? I think it's I think it's I think I think there's maybe needs to be a, like a little fight, like a balance between the two. And I think I think for me. I like to shy away from it. Certain, I don't. I, I don't. Don't get me wrong. I do. Don't mind when people boast me up and say, "Oh, James has done this, this, this." Down the years, it's like, okay, yeah, that's me. But other teachers will use it as an example. Say, well, if you work hard, you put in the hours. This is what you can achieve. I think more from a PE perspective, to for them to look at their health. And I don't know if that's the case in the U.S. now with people becoming more or less, uh, well, shunning away from doing the actual, cur- you know, the curriculum with PE, uh, because that's definitely the case over here. That the well, what do we do? This we did over the last two, these two weeks, cross country, and I think what would it be? It would be how old would it be? Uh, about sixth grade, seventh grade uh, kids. They'd start. I don't know. Within say 100 meters, start walking. Right. So that's that's t- and they only had to do was it a lap and a half? You're thinking that's not good for for your fitness if you don't. It's not as if you have a time limit. You're just doing it. So I think kids uh, maybe did a little bit disillusioned because. They see it as maybe something they have to do, or they don't like it. Thinking, uh, I think maybe at that age, okay, it's maybe difficult to uh, foresee what you're going to be like in thirty, forty years. But I bet you the person when they're thirty, forty years old would be very uh, grievous to what their behaviour is like. Thinking, well, if you'd have done this at twelve, thirteen, I'd be a lot healthier. So I think it's, I, I probably didn't foresee looking at into the future and say, well, at 30, 40 years old, I'm going to be, well, I'm not as fit as I was, I know, and that's a fact. But being, you don't think of your your health at a later stage in life, whereas I think maybe some people should start thinking that way. If you have a bad lifestyle now, it in theory will only get worse if you don't put an emphasis on, on, on not, not per se exercise, but your well-being, right? But do you, do you think that is the case with? We'll probably use the example. Do you think your kids have more emphasis on their exercise because of you as the role model? You know, we're going to find out when they were little. They would love to run with daddy around the block, and then I would continue my run. Now I cannot get them to run with daddy. They're uh, ten and eight and four. Um, my eight-year-old son does come to the races with me, um, and he'll do a lot of the races. Um, but we're going to see if, if as they get older, like teenage years, if I can, you know, convince them to 
run with me or, Hey, get on the bike while I run. Um, you know, they've, my son's played a little soccer, a little football, nothing's really grabbed his attention yet. Well, actually he really liked flag football last year, but I mean, their mom is super fit. Their mom is in better shape than me. She's, uh, she's got a coach and she power lifts. That's all happened in the last two years. So, um, we can just be an example. They'll, they'll either follow it or they won't, but they're seeing us eat healthy and be healthy as opposed to uh, sitting on the couch and smoking cigarettes. But, but from your opinion, do you think social media and say television has caused this to be a problem? The obesity at kids level? I think it's, we're addicted to sugar and flour and fast food. I mean, I struggle myself with that stuff. Um, it's, uh, we're addicted to things that taste really, really sweet and really, really savory and really, really good. And, um, uh, it's work, you know, my wife, like I said, she has a coach and so the food she makes for herself, uh, is not as good. Uh, but she always says every meal does not have to be a party in your mouth. You know, like food is like sustaining us. So, um, it's tough, man. I struggle a lot recently myself. I've probably eaten worse in the last year than I've ever had. A lot of uh, checkers and Taco Bell and Waffle House. I don't know if you have these things over there, but oh, I know what they are, though. Uh, <laughs> uh, what Taco Bell? Just there's at least vegetables in, right? Mm, not really. They're not real vegetables. What even the be- the bean? I would say the say the um, kidney beans or something like that. Would, Maybe. But then that's not though. Probably in a small amount. But, but, whatever, but whatever flavors they put in those things mm-hmm. are unbelievable, right? But if you're healthy, you don't think so. My wife could never eat a Taco Bell. She'd be like repulsed because her body is like now rid of all that shit. Oh yeah, but I I think people I've had teammates question me. Say we're coming back from an away game, and we well with multiple say uh, what would it be um, service stations here predominantly only have unhealthy food. So people say to me, "Oh, you're a PT. You shouldn't be eating." I don't know what it was. I think it was Burger King or KFC or something like that. It's like well, I give you two options. I eat it or I starve. Well, I'm not going to starve, so I'm going to eat this. (laughs) Right. I'm not saying never never have a cheat meal. I'm saying that many of us are addicted to those foods and those flavors and they're not good. And we have a very fat country. And uh, I was in the country last weekend in North Carolina because I live in the city here and, you know, it was a lot of, fat Southern people, very obese people and a lot of them smoke. And it's just, it's, it's, it's bad news, man. But would you not agree that the America's got it a little bit worse because you drive predominantly everywhere as well? Well, I don't know that it's, I mean, because I'm certainly, I'm sure there's fat New Yorkers who walk a lot of places too. Um, but I honestly don't even want to get into it. It's too massive, the obesity problem. I can't solve that on this podcast. <laughs> well, you can't, I, I, well, obesity is, it, it comes back to the root cause. It comes back to the person and their why. Do you want to help yourself? 
And it's as simple as that. It's, nope. They want to die of fucking uh, diabetes. Well, I, I think I think it's a dif- it's a difficult one because, like you were saying, stuff that's bad for you generally tastes good. But that would come down to probably sugar, salt, and it's what's well, an addiction at the end of the day with sugar, right? And I think it's I think it's more horrifying with kids because. I don't know if that's the case in the US because you'll see it over here. Uh, what was it? I've seen chocolate for breakfast. Uh, what was it? One person drank like fr- not big bottles of coke, but yeah, three bottles of coke. You're thinking, what is your what? What's your well, caffeine intake, uh, sugar levels like? Um, what? Well, so what's going to do to your teeth? You're thinking. I don't know what they have to do. I think maybe important on. I think this is one bonus I'd seen from having a some time in the American system. There's obviously to graduate, you've got to do at least what was it half a year of hell. So I think at the time I probably shunned it away because it's like, well, I know a lot of this, so why should I listen? But I think maybe it's something they should bring across to the UK and maybe have more importance on instead of it being predominantly physical education, maybe teach people the like ins and outs of the real, how the real world operates, with, not just in PE, but across the board, and say, well, this is how you're going to have to operate when you leave school to better prepare people and to get that maybe a better, great, a greater knowledge base and be able to, well, we'll say, think for themselves. Right. But it's a difficult one because I think it's, I think even, if, well, we shouldn't go into politics, but you, these are two, well, closely linked countries at the moment with, well, you having Trump and us with Brexit. It's people uh, questioning it and kind of saying, well, I didn't vote for this, so why should I agree with it? It's like, well, it's a democratic process if you don't like it do something about it when it comes time to vote again. So it's, just, whereas I think, and it's the same with anything, have a, have a dialogue with somebody. If you don't agree with their point of view, that's, that's why you have a discourse. It's not, oh, I don't agree with your point, so I'm not going to listen to it. It'd be a bit, well, from a podca- podcast perspective, it'd be a bit uh, irrelevant, uh, not irrelevant, but kind of, Point, pointless because it's, there's no actual dialogue of well you could probably have an argument from that perspective but if I don't listen to your point of view completely it's a point for, it's a pointless conversation but it's it, but it is what it is but but Matt in terms of kind of going forward with uh, like obstacle um, racing and uh, your business I would say where do you see it going in, the, say, the next five to ten years? Well, you know, we grow, we being ORM, Racing Media, we grow as the sport grows. So uh, it's had its ups and its downs and its dips, and people aren't sure where it's going. Uh, and then, you know, a new major sponsor will get involved, or, you know, these TV shows are now popping up and these Facebook deals. So... Um, it's, uh, you know, it's yet to be seen 
you know, a month or two ago, I would have told you that I would have really hoped to eventually get on one of these broadcasts. And now I'm doing that. And so, like I said, maybe the next thing is TV. Maybe it's not. Uh, we want to keep putting out content, um, blog, video, social. We want to keep being the leading source for people's information. We get letters, letters. We get emails and messages all the time that say, we love what you guys are doing. Keep it coming. Um, so honestly, I, I want to just keep putting out that content and I want to personally grow my brand as a, as an industry expert. But in terms of, you probably raised a good one in terms of like the television programs. Do you think if we use maybe like Ninja Warrior as an example, do you think somebody that aspires to maybe, well, what would be the word, um, try out for one of those shows should maybe do one of the races prior to that to maybe fine tune some of those aspects of training? Yeah, well, many of the ninjas do like obstacle racing, and it's fun for them, but most of them aren't used to more than running 100 meters, so it's too much for them. They don't like it. Um, and Ninja Warrior, of course, has been wildly popular, and we'll see if that can maintain over the years. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, it's usually too much running for them. Well, it's, uh, there's an element of cardio in it because you've got to last, I don't know how long the I think the course is about, depending on the person, I think it's about six to seven minutes long. Whereas right. 100 meters, I'm going to utilize, well, depending on, because I think they change it week by week and put out as an extra. Well, season up. by season anyway, yeah. But I think, well, if we come back to the commentary perspective, I think yours is better, better, um, right. Uh, what would that be the word? A better voiceover than ours. I think because we've got a, one of them is an ex-footballer and he's, he's, he's not an annoying voice, but it's, it's like, uh, it grates on you a little bit. You're thinking, you don't get somebody else. Cause he's more, I think he's more famous because he, uh, for what he does normally, the commentary for games, and he forgets where he is and all oh, what's happening. You're thinking, well, you're famous because of that, because you've been you're a little bit um, forgetful. Is probably a kind word. <laughs> you're thinking, come on, that's that's what you're there for. You're supposed to be commentating on what's happening. It's more, it's more. They go from the from the studio and go to what's happened in that game and they'll ask him well, what's happened for this instant I think the one and they use it as oh what would be the word um, you know like, like outtake TVs and things and the one springs to mind is somebody sent off and he doesn't know why you're thinking uh, you're the person watching it people on the TV don't know what's happened so it's like so, so that one I think he's got famous because of that and and you're thinking, well, how does that make you a good commentator for, say, something to do with obstacles, which is a completely split? Well, you say the sport to its own. It's completely polar opposites. But, like you say, it's network decisions. They want to get people that are well, in the know. People know of them, but you're thinking, well, if the person knows what they're talking about and I've actually done it, I would say it was, but it'd be a better show because they can. Well, some people might not want to know the complexities of the event, but some people might do, and it's one one way for them to improve their training. But it is what it is. It's a difficult one. It's a difficult. 
thing to to fathom, but that is what it is. So my last question for you, Matt, before we wrap up the episode. If you had to summarize our show today into one sentence for people to take away, <laughs> what would that be? Uh, never wait for the right time. The right time will never come. I think that's probably a great word of advice. So once again, Matt, thanks for coming on the Mindset Game podcast. Thanks for having me, dude. That's my pleasure. And before I forget, I would really appreciate it if you would be so kind as to leave a short review as it helps to get the podcast more notoriety and it will be more visible in future to others and thus helping more people which my guests and I are all about. Once again, thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time for another episode of the Mindset Game Podcast.